I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how you doing today, man? I am doing awesome. Can you believe that after this AM game, it's half over? The season will be half over. I, I don't want to talk about it, man. It just it felt like such a um I wouldn't say it was a very long offseason in some ways. And I just don't want to get back there. You know that I'm very into the draft. I watch a lot of draft prospects and evaluate tape and do all that stuff. Um, So it's something to do during the offseason. It's something to look forward to. But there's nothing like college football season being underway. And even when college football is over and you still got that, you know, month or so of of NFL left, it's just not the same. So I really hope that these last six regular season weeks following this week against Texas A&M goes by way slower than these first six weeks because it's been in the blink of an eye. It really has, but uh, I think, you know, we have a lot to look forward to, and I think so much of the league snapped into focus this past weekend. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about Alabama and Ole Miss, but uh, I think the league as a whole, I think we we really now see in terms of the multiple tiers, uh, someone explained it as, look, you can take those two teams at the top. We know who those are. You can take those two teams at the top. Then you can take probably Vandy, you know, at the bottom, and maybe Missouri along with them. That, that's South just, Carolina, maybe. South Carolina. There's there's two or three teams that are just not competitive, and, and I guess it would be those three. Uh, but everyone else, teams three through ten, basically, or three through 11, th- those teams are going to make the SEC really interesting because I think any of them can beat any of them. Home field's going to be big, and uh, you, you could end up with a lot of seven and five type SEC teams this year because I think teams three through 11 are just so close, you know. Yeah, for me, going into the season, um, you know, I had Alabama number one in the West. I had Texas A&M number two, Ole Miss number three, LSU number four. That's one that I just – I didn't think they were bouncing back. Uh, a lot of people, you know, some were p- predicting that they would finish second in the West. Some were even saying that they would be- finish first in the West. I just wasn't convinced. Um, now, granted, I, I could see scenarios where that would play out if certain things went their way, but I, I just didn't think that it was going to. And then from there, you know, it was very difficult um, for me going into the year. Auburn, Arkansas, and uh, and Mississippi State, how to rank those three at the bottom of the West. And then on the East, you know, I had uh, Georgia number one. I had Kentucky number two. I had Florida number three. Missouri number four. So the ones that I'm most upset about, I had Texas A&M number two in the West. Big swing and a miss there. Now, granted, even with, you know, Haynes King, I I still wouldn't view them as number two in the West. Uh, I think they would be much better than they they are right now, but I don't think that it would make enough of a difference for them to be better than both Arkansas and Ole Miss. Um, And then, uh, you know, 
I'm not happy with myself about Arkansas. I knew they were going to be a good football team, and I certainly argued with people, hey, they're, they might finish sub-500 this year, but they're going to be the best sub-500 football team in the history yeah. of college football. And it was mostly just because of their schedule. You know, looking right. – and they still got a brutal schedule, and they still could end up losing several games this year and finishing eight and four. Um, I mean, at this point, I think eight and four would probably be the worst they finish, at least I hope for their sake. But um, And then the other one, of course, is Missouri. I was way too high on them. There was a part of me that had kind of flirted with maybe putting Missouri ahead of Florida, which, you know – um, I guess this now sounds a lot more popular uh, as far as putting Florida further down than you know it did a week ago. But it there were some hits and there were some misses. But that's just the competitiveness of the SEC. You know, and I think the I projected that the SEC West would be way more competitive going into this season than the SEC East. But the East has been fairly. Uh, competitive as well. Florida's been better than I thought they were going to be. Kentucky has been everything I thought they they would be. Um, Georgia has certainly lived up to the hype as the by far the best team in the East. And then you know South Carolina's been a little bit more competitive than I gave them credit for going in. And then you got Vanderbilt, Missouri, and Tennessee. You know that I mean what they did going on the road against an SEC team. I understand that it's Missouri and that you know with as poor as they looked, a lot of people were down on them. But I just think it was a, a fantastic performance for the Vols. So got to give them a ton of credit for that. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. The the SEC is really starting to shake out. And while there were some some hits there, it was also very tough to predict. It really it really was. And I think our predictions were, were pretty similar, you know, in the preseason. Uh, the team that I've missed on the most is, is this week's opponent. I thought Texas A&M would be very good based on, uh, you know, last year they were the last team to be eliminated from the playoff. You know, they were number five and – I was pretty high on Haynes King. Uh, I remember him very well through the Elite 11 process. And, uh, you know, he, he ran a 4-4 this spring. That's so rare for a quarterback to have legit 4-4 speed. And, uh, but A&M's been a, a huge disappointment. I don't want to, um, you know, superstition-wise, it's probably a bad week to talk about how, uh, how terrible Texas A&M has been. <laughs> but, uh, no, I really thought A&M would be an elite national power and uh, while they did lose Haynes King, and, and and I do think that their offense has has really struggled as a result of that. But even if they had had Haynes King, it, it's hard to believe uh, that that AM was going to live up to to what I thought they would be. Um, and 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 I thought I, I did not see Missouri being this atrocious on defense. Gosh, Missouri is really bad defensively, and they had been really good defensively several years in a row. I guess. Uh, Barry Odom being gone now, I guess all of the Barry Odom influence is now completely gone from the Missouri program. They're, 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 they're not that great. But, hey, the good news here is uh, where we are, uh, where Alabama is, uh, definitely among the top two in the league. And Alabama is going to be a big favorite in every game uh, for the rest of this uh, regular season. Uh, there could be an interesting one at Auburn at the end. But uh, Alabama is going to be – to say the least, a double-digit favorite in uh, in every game the rest of the season. Yeah, I completely agree. And Missouri, you know, you, you always like to put it, uh, they lost some dudes. They lost a <laughs> bunch of them. Uh, you know, Nick Bolton, that linebacker, yep. you know, sideline to sideline guy, Phil General of your defense, you know, uh, Tyler Gillespie, the safety, Joshua Bledsoe, the safety. I just feel like that – um, you know, I, I, that's where I had my question marks is they lost all their star power, a lot of it from last year. Now, Connor Basilak, he was coming back and he's certainly a star. Tyler Beatty, um, you know, I think it's a good running back kind of utility guy. 
but you know, losing Larry Roundtree from last year, Larry Borum, uh, your tackle, he you know is now on the Chicago Bears and and has been getting some action with the starters. So just for a place like Missouri, that was my big question mark. Is I believed in Eli Drinkwich and I thought they were heading in the same direction as Arkansas, which was positive. But I just felt like, you know, that's the one thing that we don't know. It's Missouri. It's not Alabama. You know, replacing those stars, can they do it on a year-in, year-out basis? And they didn't lose a just a ridiculous amount of their players, but the players they lost was pretty much, you know, 90% of their star power uh, from, you know, the previous season. So, unfortunately, they haven't been able to adequately replace, you know, their two safeties and their linebacker and, um, you know, that power running back in Larry Roundtree. And it's just – it's affecting them all the way around. Uh so we're going to have to see. It is very interesting because going into the season, Sam Pittman and Arkansas were being viewed very similarly to Eli Drinkwich and Missouri. The only difference is one was in the east where everybody thought, you know, there was a lot more wide open. And then you had the – or excuse me, it was a lot more um, – you know, there were more opportunities. And then in the west, with it being super competitive, everybody thought, you know, Arkansas is an improving football program but they're not going to finish very high now, you know, look at them. Uh, they're, they're definitely going to finish, you know, with a much better record, a uh, winning record, probably going to go to a bowl game, probably going to wipe the floor with whoever they play, um, depending on, you know, if they end up being a 10 and two or nine and three squad, we'll kind of have to see, but from the standpoint of, you know, if they end up being an eight and four team and they get, you know, a good, not great bowl and a good, not great opponent, they're probably going to absolutely destroy them. And I don't think the, you know, they got beat like a drum by Georgia. Couldn't stop the run with that three, two, six defense. You know, Georgia didn't have to throw the football whatsoever. They ran all over. And then you got, you know, your offense trying to go against the best defense in college football um, with a banged up quarterback in KJ Jefferson uh, with a lower leg injury. And he's a dual threat guy. It's just a, a Bad combination for the Razorbacks. They got absolutely destroyed, but I still, you know, I give Georgia a lot more credit for that than me saying, oh, you know, Arkansas was just overhyped. I still think they're a very, very good football team, and we'll continue to show that as long as they don't allow that type of loss to kind of derail their season. Um, you know, that's a huge – we'll kind of just have to see um, how that plays out. But that's not what we're – we're not here to talk about the SEC and what's going on, even though I think, think that was a good conversation and it's something we should have every once in a while is kind of look at the big picture stuff. It doesn't always have to be Alabama and, and whatever, you know, what's going on with Alabama. But we do need to talk about that because it was a huge victory for the for the Tide, 42-21 uh, to 21 over Ole Miss. Um, you know, just for me personally, Jimmy, I, the first two drives of the game made all the difference in the world. A, I think that Alabama winning the coin toss um, and and getting the football in the second half, that forced Ole Miss to understand, especially on that first drive, we're not getting – we're not going to have the opportunity to double up possessions at the end of the first half and the beginning of the second. So trying to make up, you know, a deficit at that point, um, you know, we're in trouble. And then also, if you're, if you're Ole Miss and you score on that first drive of the game – Alabama's now reacting to you. Uh, they Alabama stops them. Alabama's offense gets the football. They drive down the field. They score, and now Ole Miss is the team that's being reactive. And you know they end up saying, "Hey, they, Alabama's going to create separation right out of the gate if we don't go for it on fourth down on the second drive." And so you go for it, you don't get it. Now Alabama's gone up two scores, and now you're completely screwed. But it the entire game flow or the entire game came down to those first couple of possessions for Ole Miss and their inability to put points on the board. If they if they score on that first drive, it's, it's very, very different. If they can score on that second drive and even it back up, 
it is also different. So kind of just tell me your thoughts and just the way that things kind of started off and transpired and, you know, everything that went on. And you, we can even talk a little bit about some popcorn. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't really like popcorn. I don't, I don't know. I've, I've never been a popcorn guy. But um, exactly what you said, Clint, I, I think for a game that, that had so many snaps and so many storylines, you could boil – the story of that game down to one snap. And it, and it was the Ole Miss initial possession and the fourth down play uh, that Tim Smith and, and with, with an assist from Jordan Battle made the stop on the fourth and two or fourth and one. I, I think that that play told the whole story of the game. Uh, it told the story of the fourth downs that, that Lane uh, tried to convert repeatedly uh, as the underdog in the game. And of course, Lane has a, a tendency to go for it on fourth down regardless of opponent, but uh, the fact that they went for it on fourth down, didn't make it, also showed that Alabama's just better than Ole Miss at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and, and that showed itself on that one play. Uh, it also showed that it wasn't going to be last year's Alabama-Ole Miss game. That play showed that last year. <clears throat> Alabama and Ole Miss basically ended the game scoring on every possession. Uh, that game showed, hey, it's, it's, it's going to be a little tougher to get to the end zone this year. Uh, I, I really think that game sort of encapsulated that play encapsulated the entire game, the fourth downs, the fact that Alabama's better at the line of scrimmage, the fact that there were going to be stops in this game, probably by both sides. And there were, there were, there were more punts this time around, even with Lane going for it five times on fourth down. So I think really that play summed up the, the whole afternoon. Also, you know, something that, 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 I wrote on on three last week that on the message board uh, that me and you talked about some and and, and that was the disparity in recruiting uh, where you know Ole Miss started five three stars on that offensive line uh, Alabama has more four and five stars in their starting lineup than Ole Miss has on their entire roster I, I think that really showed up Saturday uh, Alabama was just a better team they were better coached this year for this game. And uh, considering I was prepared this week, Clint, to come on the On3 show and slander Pete Golding uh, because the defense played so well and had such a good plan, I'll I'll give the credit where it's due. I think Pete's plan was fantastic. Uh, I think we executed it really well. And for all the talk about how Lane Kiffin circled this game because he wanted to be the first assistant to beat Nick Saban, I think Pete Golding circled this game because he was rightfully embarrassed over what happened a year ago. He wasn't going to let it happen again. And uh, we just had a very good plan for this game that was well executed by his guys. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet on game day in the morning said, expect Alabama to come out and in, 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 a, in a new front with three and four big guys up front or whatever. He, he, he basically, Kirk Herbstreet said that, that Alabama was going to, was going to come out in new, new formations and do new things. Alabama did no such thing. Uh, played the same nickel arrangement they've played all year uh, with only two defensive linemen on the field uh, and, and the two outside linebackers, Will Anderson and Drew Sanders out there for basically every snap. Alabama didn't do anything too differently other than make the plays, be more sound, execute better. And, uh, and one last interesting thought that both safeties for the first time were named Players of the Week. Jordan Battle and DeMarco Helms both named Players of the Week by the staff that had not happened all year. Uh, both of them were in this game. I think that tells us, Clint, that, uh, that 
what Alabama's plan was, was executed really well. And it started with that safety help. Completely agree with you. Um, and I, I was a lot more impressed with the defensive performance and the offensive because the offensive, it, it was, it, I don't want to take away anything from Brian Robinson Jr. and what he was able to achieve. He didn't just make the standard five, you know, four or five, six yard carry, which is what Alabama staff was planning on when they handed in the football in those particular plays. He was turning, he was dragging guys and just set tone setter is kind of the way that I put it on, on Twitter. Um, you know, he, he was motivated to win. And when things started to slow down in the second half and, and Alabama started to hit that lull, the guy who got them out of it was Brian Robinson Jr. Taking a, you know, what should have been a four or five yard carry or, you know, maybe a little bit further than that, a seven or eight yard carry on that particular run, the way that it was blocked. Uh, and he ended up turning it into like a 15 yard gain and, and he got tackled or, you know, first contact was probably after nine yards. I mean, he drug like half the defense. It felt like for well over five yards and just really started to get Alabama's offense back um, on track. But at the same time, based off of what Ole Miss was giving them in that three, two, six defense, you knew that Alabama was going to be able to and want to run the football because you're achieving two things. You're A, you're keeping Ole Miss's offense off the field. You're having long, sustainable drives. You're giving your defense plenty of rest. And also, you're having plenty of success doing it because the opposing defense and the way that it's structured is allowing you to do it. Now, what I thought was going to happen, if I would have known that, that Ole Miss was going to make – zero adjustments from that in that sense as far as changing their front up and saying okay we got to take away uh take away the run here or try to stop the run more consistently here then i would have never made my bold prediction about uh bryce young you know breaking records uh, you know personal career highs and stuff as far as passing touchdowns and stuff what i thought was going to happen was alabama was going to have that very early success running the football Ole Miss was going to make some adjustments and it was going to create the opportunity because based off of that three, two, six defense, there's a reason that, that, that style is willing to, there's a reason it exists and you know, you're going to get completely gashed as far as the run, but you're giving up, uh, you're, you're taking away the opponent's, uh, passing attack, whether it's short to intermediate, you got more help on the back end with six defensive backs for deep stuff. You can divide the field out uh, deep a lot more as far as your zone. It just it, it allows for a lot more opportunities uh, for your defense against the passing attack. And I just thought that, you know, very early in that game, Ole Miss was going to have to scrap it. And I kind of thought the same thing for Arkansas against Georgia. You know, they let Georgia just completely gash him. And Stetson Bennett being the quarterback, which you got to give him credit, he's been better um, than I probably thought that he would have been when he had to come in for JT Daniels the last couple of weeks or a few weeks, but at the same time, you know, I, I thought Arkansas would make more adjustments than they did and really try to say, okay, we're going to make Stetson Bennett beat us. We're not going to allow this, you know, very physical Georgia offensive line and this great stable of runners that they have completely just destroy us. And that's not the approach Arkansas took. Now, as far as Ole Miss and making adjustments to Alabama's offense, one thing that you saw is, and this is something that I'll be curious to see how other teams end up playing this. You know, you have quarterback spies for running uh, quarterbacks. You know, if you got Lamar Jackson, you've got some quick guy that's QB spine. So when he tries to take off and run, you have a guy that's ready to go and get him. Um, for Bryce, Bryce isn't running the football, but he was being spied. And the entire point of it was to say, okay, we know this guy's very good at, at extending plays, but he's, he's going to be looking downfield. But we need to have somebody ready to when that initial wave of pressure, he's able to avoid it and escape it. We have another immediate guy 
who's ready to at least go, uh, at the very least, go apply more pressure as he's trying to throw the football on the run. And not only that, you know, Chase Campbell, the linebacker, he did it a couple of times extremely well. One time he even got a sack. Um, and it was just, you know, I'll be curious to see if other people do that with that, that quarterback spy where it's like, because what will happen is, is Bryce is most comfortable. You can tell, I mean, he can win from within the pocket, but he does his best work on the move. You know, when, when things are kind of breaking down around him, mostly because that initial pressure, he's able to escape it. And then he's kind of free, you know, there's nobody in front of him. He kind of gets to see the field, but when he's got another, you know, big linebacker uh, trying to run him down, as soon as he's, ex- he's able to escape that initial pressure, that changes things a little bit. And so, but anyways, I'm not, this has been a very long winded way of getting back to the defense. The point uh, I was trying to make initially was I was impressed with the way that the defense played Ole Miss's offense. Uh, this was assignment football, you know, going down to that all the way down to that uh, speed option on that fourth down Alabama. Not only did they see it coming, guys did their job. They weren't trying to do somebody else's job. And you saw way too much of that against Florida. Guys were confused. They didn't know if they had pitch man or quarterback or what. Everybody seemed to understand what their role was defending certain things. And I think they did a great job of anticipating that Ole Miss was going to try that, that kind of thing because they had seen uh Florida has plenty of success with, you know, option type of stuff. They saw uh, Southern Miss implement that quite a bit uh, the week before and have some success doing that. And so they're like, hey, let's throw it in here for, you know, uh, a rainy, you know, day or a, a rainy possession where we really need to get something out of it. They tried it on a fourth down and Alabama knew it was coming. They anticipated it. You could tell they anticipated it. Drew Sanders immediately knew I'm taking quarterback on this play. Henry Tooto was already moving towards trying to get over the top to get to the pitch man before the ball was even snapped. I mean, they 100% knew what was coming. That's Pete Golding. That's guys doing their jobs. So very impressed overall with the defensive performance as well. Right, um, ex- exactly. And I was really happy to see Henry Tooto play the way he did. He, he had struggled at times. You know, we, we, he was sick in Gainesville, and and he'd also uh, you know sprained his elbow. Uh, early this season so he's had to fight through that stuff and and, and maybe getting a little criticism online from uh from us picky Alabama people but uh Henry I thought played his best game uh Saturday and, and a big part of that uh particularly sticking with that fourth down play uh is indicative of his performance all day Henry isn't just helping us when he when he makes the play Henry's helping us by getting everybody on the same page getting everybody lined up uh being the guy that anticipates because as you were saying, Henry, Henry knew that speed option was coming uh, just from the way Ole Miss aligned, and he started moving uh, in the in the direction of, of the play. Actually, before the ball was snapped, and, and you know that while Henry is doing that, he's communicating verbally to his teammates, you know what's coming, and that that's where Henry can really next level this defense. We haven't had that in the middle of the defense in a long time. And, uh, and and I think that's where Henry is really outstanding. And then it's great. It's gravy. It's 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 the uh, chocolate syrup on the Sunday when he can make the play too, uh, like he did on the on that fourth down play. So uh, nice game for Henry. Nice game for Jordan and and Demarco. Uh, Will Anderson's the best player in this league every week. Um, and, and the defensive line, I thought, you know, played better. Again, I, I need people to understand because there's been a lot of talk about that defensive line, but. For the first time in the Saban era, really, and we're talking about 15 years now, for the first time, we're, we're really playing with two defensive linemen. That's going to affect the stat sheet big. You can't expect defensive linemen to put up big numbers every week when there's only two of them 
And then we substitute on top of that, you know, because uh, we do play quite a few players considering there's only two at a time on the field right now. So that's really affecting the defensive line numbers and the performance. But when they were out there, they played well. Tim Smith with the big play. Byron Young's made big plays. Phil Mathis was a player of the week again. And I believe he had another sack. So uh, several defensive linemen are contributing and playing well, despite the fact we're only playing, you know, with two at a time. So uh, just an A-plus performance, I think, by Pete Golding and the defense. Such a shame that Ole Miss ended up with 21 on the scoreboard because I don't think that's indicative of the game that the defense played. I think the officials sort of helped Ole Miss out with that last touchdown. And also think we got gassed. Look for people that were watching this game on TV and weren't there uh, I, I don't know that that I haven't seen Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson. I haven't seen the playback, and I don't know if they talked about it at all, but it was muggy. It wasn't sun hot. There was hardly a sun in the sky the whole game, but it was very, very muggy. Just in the stands, it was hard to breathe up there. Uh, this, this was typical late summer southern mugginess and high humidity. I think our guys were pretty gassed in the fourth quarter due to that humidity. And I'm kind of surprised there wasn't more cramping and things like that from both teams up. But I do think that those those points Alabama gave up late, some of it was the the bad call on the pass interference on the on a ball that was uncatchable. Uh, and, and secondly, uh, that muggy temperature might have uh, wore us down. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And when you typically go with, with a 3-4, I wouldn't say typically, but nowadays you're going you know, nickel and dime packages a ton. Um, but, you know, your your base alignment's a 3-4 defense. And so you've got three defensive linemen that are considered quote-unquote starters. And then, you know, used to when you go to that, you know, nickel style with a, with a four-man front, you still got three of your defensive linemen on the field. You just got a guy who can play a lot more out on the edge a little bit, um, kind of be a base 4-3 defensive end in those instances. Um, you know, when you decide to use both your outside linebackers, as your two edge guys, and you go from having three starters to essentially two starters on your defensive line, the, all that depth that you've accumulated at that one position has now been condensed to pretty much two spots um, instead of three. And so, I mean, you look at the snap count, Fedarian Mathis only played 24 of 69 snaps. Now, he got a player of the week uh, by the coaching staff. It was well-deserved, looked explosive on that, you know, twist, uh, stunt, you know, had some bend to his game despite being a big body guy, but only 24 snaps. Uh, Justin Aboyby, 28. Byron Young, 17. Tim Smith, 26. LeBron Race, only six, which I thought was a little bit surprising. Um, let's see, you know, DJ Dell, 28. DJ Dell actually led all the defensive and, you know, true defensive linemen in snaps. Uh, him and Justin Aboyby with only 28. So th those two guys had the most and they played well below half the snaps in the game. And so that's the kind of rotation that they're still continuing to have on that defensive front. 
and they're doing it at two spots instead of the typical, you know, three. And so I, you know, I'd be curious to see how that affects, if it does affect their defensive line recruiting, um, because you got to think now, if you're a, a star interior defensive lineman, you're looking at Alabama's death and the guys they got returning. If you're assuming that they're going to stay just having essentially two defensive line, true defensive line starters, then that might affect, you know, how you view the depth chart and things like that. Not saying that it's going to, I'm just saying I'll be curious to see if it does. Um, yeah. So, I mean, but it, yeah, great performance. I thought Drew Sanders continues to make splash plays, continues to get better. Um, you know, and, and I think he's just the perfect complimentary option to Will Anderson Jr. You know, Christopher Allen was able to do a lot of things well. Um, I thought he was good in coverage. Uh, he definitely provided that complimentary exterior pass rush. But I think Drew Sanders also, you know, because he can do the things like stop the run. He can do the things like drop into coverage. And he's, he's very, you know, his recognition and coverage is solid. He makes good tackles. He can provide a complimentary pass rush. I think he's continuing to prove, improve in that area. So he's just becoming, if you've got that one guy, you don't want to drop Will Anderson Jr. in coverage. You want him getting after the quarterback. So it's it, that's Drew Sanders' job. You know, if you want to send just one of those uh, outside backers, then Drew Sanders is going to be the one, you know, a lot of times uh, who's going to be dropping. And he's doing a very good job of, you know, getting that stuff done. Um you know, like I said, Henry Tuotoo, I thought it played extremely well. Now, granted, I was a little bit surprised that he didn't get named one of the players of the week. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he did have a couple of missed tackles um, in there. But I just thought with the communication, I thought across the board, guys knew where they needed to be. You, you compare it to last year, the entire defense is a lot more, you know, veteran. Uh, but last year, you know, you talk about guys were struggling to get lined up correctly. You know, that up-tempo was causing a lot of issues guys not understanding their assignments, the communication. It just seemed like all those issues. Now, granted, if when you're having success and you're stopping Ole Miss on early downs, that even though they're still continuing to go up tempo, that's putting them at a huge disadvantage at that point. You know, typically when you want to go your most up tempo is when you're having success. You hit them for a you know a six yard gain on first down, you run up to the line of scrimmage, you're, you know, now putting them, you know, continuing to put strain on the defense and that had a little bit to do with it, but I just thought the communication across the board uh, was, was great. It was encouraging to see, you know, the crowd and, and Alabama was feeding off the crowd and that certainly, you know, affects things a little bit, but just the energy from the team, you know, getting excited, you know, when, when Federian Mathis got that strip sack, um, you know, the fourth down stops, uh, you know, just guys on the sidelines who weren't in the game were, you know, getting involved in the celebrations, guys coming off the field, so much energy defensively, and that carried over. And granted, did it last the entire game? No, I think that you make a great point. I was in the press box and very unfortunate to be up there um, because they have these little windows at the top that you can open up. But they only open up a couple of them, and so you can barely hear the crowd and I kind of missed the old press box where it was completely open. It just felt like you were right there in the atmosphere. I would have loved to have been able to, to kind of feel uh, how good that crowd was because, you know, I was texting people and every one of them were saying this crowd has been fantastic. Um, so give them a lot of credit. Nick Saban asked that people show up and they get loud and they get loud for the entirety of the game. And, you know, from everything that I've heard and I know, the crowd responded. Nick Saban certainly appreciates it. And, you know, it's kind of like you said before the game, if you're expecting the offense to do their job and you're expecting the defense to do their job, you as fans need to do your job and, and you can affect, you know, teams. You can make life on them more difficult and you can help us win football games. You're involved in this process as well. 
I think Nick Saban was pleased with the offense. He was pleased with the defense. And I think he was pleased with the performance from the fans because it certainly made a difference. And, you know, hopefully that continues as we start to get into some of these other games. And I don't think they'll be as big as this one. But um, it was fun nonetheless. And so across the board, very solid performance. And we'll see uh, the fans uh, have an effect on things this weekend uh, in College Station, Texas A&M, famous for famously having one of the most difficult places to play uh, on the road in this league with very loud uh, fans. It will be a sellout. It will be packed. Uh, it's a primetime game. Uh, A&M had a disappointing season, I think, particularly the last two weeks. And they know that they can turn that all around with uh, with a long-anticipated win over Alabama. Jimbo Fisher uh, sort of uh, trash-talked Alabama, of course, talking to an A&M alumni uh, booster group. You know, what, what do we think he's going to say in those situations? But, uh, you know, and one thing, I, hey, I, I'll, I'll admit to this, you know, this summer, wasn't on the On3 show, but, you know, this summer – you know, I brought up the point that, you know, most of the time Nick Saban loses a game. People people don't realize that, but most seasons Alabama loses one game during the regular season under Nick. And I thought the game at AM was the most losable game uh, on the schedule. And uh, and I pointed that out numerous times. And uh, and here I am the week of the game taking it all back. Uh, <laughs> now, now, while any road game in the SEC is losable, uh, I don't think this is a good matchup for Texas A&M. I think the only way to beat Alabama this year is you're going to have to score points to beat Alabama because Alabama is going to score points. Uh, there won't be – even as good as Georgia appears to be on defense, I'll be really surprised, Clint, if Georgia can keep Alabama out of at least the mid-20s and maybe even a little higher than that. Uh, Alabama is going to score against anyone – uh, Alabama's lowest scoring output to date is 31 points on the road in Gainesville. If Florida, if Alabama manages just to get 31 in College Station, and I believe they will, uh, that that feels like an impossible mountain for AM to climb against a really good Alabama defense. Uh, uh, I think AM has only scored something like 20, 13, and seven points maybe against Power 5 competition so far this year. They've played three Power 5 teams, and that's all they've scored, like 20, 13, and seven. Uh, that's just not going to get it done against Alabama. Alabama's just too powerful on offense. Uh, Alabama showed this past week that not only can they be explosive, they can also, when they need it, can uh, can have some good balance with that run game behind B-Rob. So I think this is a great matchup for Alabama uh, when this summer I was saying, well, that's the one Alabama's got to watch, that trip to College Station. Well, I'm, I'm taking all that back and saying that uh, this is a tough matchup for A&M. And, and while there's probably going to be some uh, anxious moments in the game, I do think A&M may have the best defense Alabama has seen so far this year. I, I think because A&M is good enough uh, on defense, I don't think Alabama's going to run up and down the field on them. And, and Alabama may, in, in fact, be held to the low 30s or mid 30s in this game by that quality AM defense. But I don't see AM's offense getting anywhere near the 30 point mark against this Alabama defense. So the crowd is going to be loud uh, at AM, like we were saying. And their defense is, is basically what we thought it would be. They're, they're going to be very good on defense, but uh, their offense is a mess. So as loud as their crowd is, uh, 
uh, I'm thinking we're going to come out of this game in College Station in good shape after all. Well, and that's kind of what uh, – there are certain things that you can be looking at if you're an Alabama fan for this game. And, granted, we'll talk more about this in the, the preview episode, but um, I think it is worth mentioning now. Um, this is a good gauge for where Alabama's offense could potentially stack up against the Georgia defense. Not to the same degree. A&M's a very, very good defense. They are not Georgia – but if Alabama is struggling to get anything going, now granted, what could help as far as the compensation, you know, maybe AM's not quite as talented as Georgia, but playing in College Station compared to playing in Atlanta could offset that a little bit. So if Alabama is, is struggling to get stuff going um, offensively against this te- Texas AM defense on the road, they're not really showing much improvement compared to what we saw against Florida then I think as an Alabama fan, understanding that Georgia's defense is even better, I think that's kind of a tell saying Alabama's offense can and probably is going to struggle against Georgia's defense. Now, in the past, I've always said, when you have an elite offense, and I don't think Alabama's elite yet, I think they're very, very good in their borderline, but I think that they're still working some things out. I think the receivers are starting to show some improvement. By the end of this season, uh, by the time you would play Georgia, I think Alabama will be in that elite category. Um, I've, I've kind of you know transitioned to that point. But when you see an elite offense going against a, an elite defense, Nine times out of ten, the offense is going to prevail. You know, we've seen it in the past. Georgia's had elite defenses. They, they step on the field against LSU, Joe Burrow, and that offense got absolutely destroyed. You see, you know, Georgia's elite defense go against Oklahoma in the first round of the college football playoff in the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago. You know, uh, Oklahoma's offense put up a ton of points against that Georgia defense. It's just it happens time and time again. But I do think that if you see Alabama struggle this weekend, it might have, you know, some indications on – Alabama potentially struggling uh, against Georgia later on in the season. Um, and uh, as far as Texas A&M offensively, my big question mark, and I understand this might sound crazy, but you got to think when they played Arkansas, Arkansas was a top 25 team. They had gotten that victory over Texas, but I don't think Texas is, is where they need to be yet. I wonder if A&M maybe didn't, you know, think that they were going to have much of an issue or, you know, and then of course the next week you go against Mississippi State. You got Alabama the following week. How much do you want to really put on tape for Alabama? I'm not saying that they took those opponents lightly, but I wonder if they they thought that they could get by with showing less. Uh, so Alabama didn't have it, and they've got some things, you know, kind of in the reserve. I, I'll say this: I think Alabama is going to get Texas A&M's best game. I don't know what that means offensively. It, they could get their best game, and their best game is. 25 points, uh, you know, 24 points, you know, something like that. It, I, I don't know how to gauge this Texas A&M offense because I don't think that it, that A&M has been showing their entire hand. And this it screwed them. Um, but, you, I mean, the reason that I say that is Jimbo Fisher talked all that trash. There's pressure on him now to get the job done at some point. Um, and you got to no, – no, if you're not going to beat Alabama, you damn well better make sure that you're keeping it a lot closer um than you have in the last couple of years since Jimbo's become the head coach so I don't know if that's true or not it's just something that I've kind of thought about um but either way just because you understand if you're Texas A&M as much wrong and as has gone wrong with our season so far we can ride a lot of ships by beating Alabama um and we can you know get this thing back on track and it's a home game we're going to have a home crowd they're going to be loud um, but you know, we'll kind of just have to see, I think this is a very dangerous, not non top 25 matchup. You know, we talked about the streak that Nick Saban has gone on as far as, you know, playing against non 
top 25 opponents and how they haven't been beat um, since his first season by nine top 25 opponents. I think if there was one that could cause Alabama some issues just because of the circumstances, like I agree with you on the offense, but I think, uh, you know, Texas A&M would be one of them just because of the talent level that they have. And we'll kind of just have, I mean, we've seen other teams struggle offensively and stuff. And, you know, Gus Malzahn with Auburn comes out and is just throwing the whole kitchen sink at, at Alabama's defense and, and they end up causing Alabama issues and even winning at times. So, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. Like I said, we'll talk more about that because I want to go dive in and actually watch a lot more of Texas A&M than just the surface level that I've watched them so far and see, have they been very vanilla offensively? Have they done things that I thought, you know, okay, that was a, you know, a nice well-schemed play, um, you know, that I'll just have kind of have to see after I dive into the tape a little bit more, but those are my initial thoughts and we'll dive further a little bit later this week. Yeah, um, I've, I've seen AM a little bit, but but not a lot. It seems to me that that under Zach Calzada, their 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 new starting quarterback, that their offense has been sort of limited. Uh, you know, Golding did such a good job on eliminating the big play last year. Ole Miss had nine or ten plays of over twenty yards against Alabama this past week. It was just one. You could tell there was emphasis uh, by Pete Golding in Alabama on eliminating. Or, or at least trying to uh, uh, minimize uh, Ole Miss's ability to, to, to hit the chunk play. I think this week, the litmus test for Golding, this week the real test is, is Spiller, Isaiah Spiller. They're, they're very talented running back. Uh, he's their weapon on offense. He's a really good player, a Sunday player. Uh, I think if you take Spiller away from them, uh, they won't have any arrows left you know, to fire. So to me this week, you know, based on what I know so far about A&M is if you take Spiller out, they, they really won't have much left um, because Calzada just has not been very, very efficient or productive. So that's going to be the test for Golding this week is to take away that, that back. You know, Alabama's offense has been so good. You know, A&M's, you know, A&M might look at that old Miss tape and say, you know what? Brian Robinson's not going to rush for 170 yards against us. We're just going to take that power run uh, right off the table for Alabama. Well, Alabama can hurt you in other ways. You know, Alabama can say, fine, all right, we'll just throw it to Latu and Billingsley and make big plays outside with Bryce's arm all night. That's fine. Uh, A&M won't have that luxury. I think A&M sort of has to rely on Spiller's production to move the ball, and uh, it'll be up to Pete Golden to take that away. Completely agree. Um, man, this has been a great conversation, and, and it's been fun. I, I knew we'd have a good time with this one just because there was a lot of positive takeaways, and I think the doom and gloom from the Florida game uh, had a lot of people concerned about the defense, uh, you know, as far as the offense stalling out against Florida for pretty much three quarters. People were concerned with that, um, and I think there were some questions that were answered, and I think there are still some questions that have been are, are still left to be answered but they're moving in the right direction, and that's all you can really ask. And from a coaching standpoint, things seem to be improving. Um, we'll kind of, like I said, going on the road, that's going to pr- uh, you know provide its own new challenges for Alabama. You know, being in a hostile environment again, and we'll kind of just have to see how it plays out. But this has been fun, Jimmy. I appreciate you hopping on here with me as always. We'll be you know doing some more Texas A&M stuff. We're going to get a, a Texas A&M beat writer later on this week. 
and get Sweet. their take on on the Aggies. Um, haven't figured out exactly who that beat writer is going to be, but we've got some options, and even we, we've reached out to some people, and we're just trying to figure out who can you know match up with the schedule that we got uh, lined up for you guys. So I appreciate you guys tuning in, Jimmy. As always, I appreciate you uh, hopping on here with me, brother. Hey, roll tide. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for hosting another great show, and everybody that listens, be sure to subscribe to On Three Sports. Read the Alabama message board, read all the great premium content, not only that Clint puts out an amazing amount of premium content daily, but uh, content from the entire on three team nationwide. Uh, everybody pitches in. There was some good Alabama stuff really from the national guys in the last few days. There's also a big commitment on Friday uh, that as of now, I feel pretty, pretty certain we're going to get some good news on uh, Friday when Jaleel Skinner, the top tight end in the nation commits on Friday uh, pretty much down to Alabama and Texas. So we'll see what happens with that. But there'll be a lot of Jaleel Skinner talk on the message board this week too. So you're saying it's possible we could go from Jaleel Billingsley to Jaleel Skinner and just keep the whole – and you got Cameron Latou in there as well. But just – I mean, if, if you're a, a, one of the nation's top tight ends and you're looking at what Alabama's doing as far as their usage, they got a guy that they're, you know, hammering with with targets and receptions between the 20s, and you got the guy that you're – you know, you're a goal line guy, you're getting plenty of targets in the red zone. Um, and if you're, you know, the nation's top tight end, you can do a little bit of both of it. Uh, you know, you're kind of looking at, at – of the opportunities that maybe, you know, Alabama has targeted Irv Smith and they've targeted, you know, I think OJ Howard was a little bit underutilized at Alabama, but he was targeted, you know, some, um, you know, they, they're starting to get a little bit more um, of a reputation at that position, especially having two of the nation's top guys right now. And so hopefully you're right. And, and they get some good news and they go from one Jalil to another. That's right. And that probably helps uh, not only going from Jalil to Jalil, like you said, uh, that that might be that might be all it takes. But uh, how about this? Also, when Jaleel Skinner calls the Mal Moore building to discuss Alabama's program and he's talking to Bill O'Brien, Alabama's offensive coordinator, who says things like, yeah, well, you know, I've coached Rob Gronkowski, you know, yep. that that probably hasn't hurt either. Yeah, well, yeah. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I, and I don't even know if he'd be bringing him up, but I'm pretty sure he coached Aaron Hernandez, too. But I don't That's know. if killer. That's killer. killer. Man. That's killer. Right All right. All right, folks, get ready for several more, you know, first and 10 episodes. And, you know, like I said, uh, Jimmy and I are going to be doing stuff. So definitely have your popcorn ready because we're going to be putting on a show. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for yet another episode of the Bam on three show. I'm your host, Clint Lamb, and I look forward to speaking to you guys soon. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.